Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord. Today, we want to share with you the father of Western monasticism, St. Benedict. We're in the 5th century, and God once again raises up a saint, promising us hell would not prevail against his church. God brought to the front lines another great soldier of Christ to aid Mother Church high in the mountains of Italy. Our story begins in the year 480 A.D., A little voice cries out, Here I am, world! But no sooner heard than another tiny cry fills the air. Not one, but two babies will be born to the parents of future saints, Benedict and his twin sister, Scholastica. It is believed that when he was no more than in his teens, his parents sent Benedict and his nurse to Rome to pursue a higher education, more than likely majoring in law. Now, Rome of his day had become nothing but a paganistic cesspool filled with pagan and Aryan tribes who had invaded her shores. Immoral and amoral behavior soon became the accepted norm of the day, with Christians accepting and adopting the culture of the heathens who had stormed their land. By the grace of God, the young Benedict was repulsed by all the evil and scandalous behavior he could see permeating not only Rome but also the schools. He made the decision to leave Rome. The only one he told was his nurse, who accompanied him. He left behind his books, his parents' wealth, the comforts of home, and the Roman estate, and departed for a life centered in God. It is fairly certain that Benedict left Rome at age 20, as he was mature enough to discern the decadence and immorality of his friends and classmates. Benedict and his nurse made their way to Affili, a small town, deep in the mountains, about 30 miles from Rome. The anonymity he so desperately sought was not to be his in this small village, especially once he miraculously mended an earthenware vessel, which his nurse had borrowed and broken. He pleaded with her not to share the miraculous happenings. Did she comply? No. She went around the town broadcasting the miracle that had come about, The locals even put up a sign in the church detailing the miracle and the young man who had brought it about. That was to be the end of any possible inner peace and quiet meditative reflection he could hope for. He had to leave Afile and any friends he had made there, as well as his pious nurse. He made the decision to make it alone with only God as his comfort and shield. Now completely alone, Benedict scaled hills upon hills, until he arrived in the shaggy, rocky, rough-hewn mountains of Subiaco. Till today, the mountains are steep and more than a little challenging to ascend. At last, a hermitage where he could find some peace and solitude. But how? As God would have it, Benedict came upon a monk called Romanus. He poured his heart out to the monk, sharing his deep desire to live a hermit's life. Although the monk lived in a monastery quite a distance away, without hesitating, he dressed Benedict in sheepskins and escorted the youth to a cave in the mountains. Benedict desired to be alone. Well, here in this cave, removed from all civilizations, he would know the quiet and solitary for which he so hungered. His cave, with its flat, sharp, jagged rock as a roof, made access to him from the top of the cave impossible. And should one attempt to approach the cave from below, unscalable cliffs, thick brush, and a forest made the sharp climb to the cave hazardous, dense with trees obscuring it further. 
Alone in solitary prayer, his loving companion, living this very austere life, his only human contact with anyone was the monk Romanus, who brought him a little sustenance each day. His desert life went on for three years. But evidently it was not the will of God that Benedict keep the light that he had found hidden under a bushel basket, but was now to use this light to bring light into a very dark world. One day his solitude was interrupted when a group of shepherds appeared. At first, because Benedict was living in a cave, uninhabitable for a human being, and because he was dressed in the skins of animals, the shepherds took him for an animal. When he opened his mouth and began to speak of God and heavenly things, they not only became aware he was a human, but a very holy human. Never had they heard anyone speak as he did, and they were enthralled. Because you cannot keep a light hidden, soon the light reached others who then came seeking spiritual food from Benedict. As he chose to live as the desert fathers before him, and as they had not been exempt from the attacks of the flesh, and the devil, neither would he be. St. Gregory, his biographer, describes one such temptation. On a certain day when he was alone, the tempter presented himself. The evil spirit brought before his imagination a certain woman he had formerly seen and inflamed his heart with such vehement desire at the memory of her that he had great difficulty in repressing it. And being almost overcome, he thought of leaving his solitude. Suddenly, by divine grace, he found the strength he needed, and seeing close by a thick growth of briars and nettles, he stripped off his garment and cast himself into the midst of them. There he rolled until his whole body was lacerated. Thus, through these bodily wounds, he healed the wounds of his soul, and was never again troubled in the same way. Benedict left to return to Subiaco, although not to the solitary life he had been living but to the walk God had been preparing him for these three years alone on the mountain. When word got out that Benedict had returned to Subiaco, brothers from all walks of life began to flock to him. Having heard of the miraculous occurrences and drawn by his godliness, those of the world as well as monks leading solitary lives widely scattered in the mountain came. Nestled in the cliffs of Vicovaro, overlooking Anio, between Tivoli and Subiaco, dwelled a com community of monks who had recently lost their abbot. Hearing of Benedict and his fine work, teaching all who came to him, they decided to ask him if he would agree to become their abbot. As probably their reputation preceded them, he tried to gently refuse, explaining that as his spirituality and theirs differed greatly, his lifestyle could prove too stringent for them. They insisted they could be obedient, and so, touched by their pleading, he followed them to their habitat to begin his new life as their abbot. But it soon became evident that his strict code of discipline was too much for them, and rather than share that, share that with him, they resorted to poisoning his wine. Now his custom was to make the sign of the cross over the jug just before pouring the wine. As he did so, the jug broke, shattering into many pieces. Realizing what had come to pass, Benedict turned to them without anger or vindictiveness and said the prayer which is inscribed till today 
on the cross of St. Benedict, begun Satan, and suggest not to me thy vain things. The cup thou preferrest me is evil. Drink thou thy poison. And then, God forgive you, brothers. Why have you plotted this wicked thing against me? Did I not tell you my customs would not be in accord with yours? Go and find an abbot to your taste. For after this deed, you can no longer keep me among you. Having said this, Benedict left to return to Subiaco, only not to the solitary life he had been living, but to begin the walk God had been preparing for him those three years alone on the mountain. The rich and the poor, Romans and citizens from the far corners of Europe flocked to Benedict. But again, like his Lord before him, he treated no one better than another. Regardless of position in life, peasant or prince, pauper or noble, they all looked the same to Benedict, who quickly clothed them in the robes of a monk. So widespread became his reputation that parents began sending their sons to him to become educated. His biographer, St. Gregory, tells of two Romans, the nobles, nobles Tertullius and Patrician, who brought their sons, Placidius, a seven-year-old child, and Maurice, who was all of 12 years old. One of the miracles that St. Gregory speaks of concerning the two boys one day, Placidius was sent to fetch water from the lake. Leaning too far to retrieve a pitcher of water, Placidius fell into the lake. The current began to carry his body farther and farther from the shore. At the same time, Benedict had a vision of Placidius falling into the lake, whereupon he summoned Maurice and directed him to go and save Placidius. When Maurice came upon Placidius without being aware of what he was doing, Maurice walked on the surface of the water and dragged Placidius by the hair out from the lake. Maurice had not known he was walking on water until he looked back after arriving on shore. Maurice attributed the miracle to the intercession of Benedict's prayers. However, Benedict insisted the miracle was due to Maurice's unquestioning obedience. But Placidius confirmed Maurice's view on the miracle. He said, when I was being pulled out of the water, I saw the Father's hood over my head, and I judged it was he who was getting me out. There are no records revealing just how long St. Benedict remained at Subiaco. But one thing is certain, it was long enough to get the monasteries well established. Maybe the following can shed some light on his hasty departure from Subiaco. There was an envious priest who lived in the area, Furenzo, who lusted after the success Benedict was having and all the people who flocked around him. He devised a plan to ruin Benedict. He started by slandering him, spreading false rumors about him, and when that failed, he tried to poison with a loaf of bread laced with poison. Only by the miracle of a raven taking the bread and flying away with it was St. Benedict spared. The enemy of God, who never sleeps, then led Forenzo to seduce Benedict's monks by arranging for loose young women to dance semi-nude in the presence of the young monks. Realizing the attacks were aimed at him and the fallen priest would not stop endangering the souls of the young monks as long as he was there, St. Benedict decided to leave his beloved Subiaco. Bringing a few disciples with him, 
a sad but resolute Benedict left for the mountains of Monte Cassino. As for the priest Furenzo, the devil always betraying his partners in crime, the balcony he was standing on watching Benedict departing collapsed and him with it. But Benedict did not turn back. Benedict and his companions climbed the mountain high above the village of Cassino. When they arrived at the top of the mountain, they found that once had been a fertile landscape due to years of attacks by the Goths and neglect by the natives was now a slimy, dank pest hole riddled with malaria. Benedict found the people worshipping idols in a temple dedicated to Apollo high on the hills of Mount Cassino. He immediately set out to fast for 40 days. Then he began preaching to all who would listen, and listen they did. And before you knew it, what with the miracles they could see with their own eyes, the people of the village were converted to Christ and his message. Not only that, but they helped Benedict tear down and destroy the temple along with its idols. As it is and always has been with the church, building upon the ruins of pagan temples, Benedict built two chapels. From them would rise, building by building, the great and most famous abbey the world has ever known. It is believed that Benedict arrived on Monte Cassino in 529 and laid the foundation of the original chapels sometime around the year 530. As he was nearing middle age, he no doubt desired to lead a hermit's life as he had in Subiaco. But that was not to be the case. What the Holy Spirit once known will be revealed. Soon disciples came, hungering for the word and the life of St. Benedict. Benedict decided to house all the disciples under one roof, with one prior and deans under his direction. Because of its proximity to Rome, unlike Subiaco, many flocked to Benedict and the new abbey necessitating the building of additional guest rooms to house them. His reputation of piety and wisdom spread along with miracles upon miracles that were materializing. Consequently, not only the laity, but princes of the church came seeking Benedict's secret. His rule, Ora e Labora, a pray and work, was simply addressed to all those who, renouncing their own will, take upon themselves the strong and bright armor of obedience to fight under the Lord Christ our King. The rule further prescribed that they would lead a life of liturgical prayer, study of sacred reading and work, live socially in a community under one common father. How apropos it is for everyone to take upon themselves the strong and bright armor of obedience and to fight under the Lord Christ, our King. Benedict wanted to form a community and school for beginners with a rule that was anything but immoderately austere. One day, upon Benedict discovering a hermit had chained his foot to a rock, he forthwith sent a message to him, If you are truly a servant of God, chain not yourself with a chain of iron, but with a chain of Christ. Again, so simple but so profound, if only we would live these simple yet life-changing words of wisdom. 
If one were to sum up the totality of Benedict's life and legacy to all of us, it would be the great vision he had of seeing the world as a sunbeam in the light of God. This is what inspired his life and ultimately his rule. Many miracles came about through Benedict's intercession while he was still alive. Like Jesus, he would have preferred it not get around, but word soon spread that Benedict raised people from the dead in more than one, on more than one occasion. One day, a bereaving father came to the monastery. He had heard that Benedict had brought people back to life, and he was bringing the body of his deceased son to Benedict to raise him from the dead. But sadly, Benedict was not there. So the father left his dead boy at the doorstep of the monastery and sought out Benedict. He found him returning from work with the other monks. Give me back my son, cried the desperate father. But where is your son? Bring him to me, said Benedict. The man, who by this time was hysterical, cried out, I cannot, he is dead. I need you to come with me and resurrect him. Benedict insisted, these gifts are reserved for the apostles, not for me. But the father was insistent. He would not leave until his son had come back to life. Benedict raised his arms heavenward and then prayed prostrate over the child. Father, please speak. Do not look at my sins, but at the worthiness of this grieving father and bring his child back to life. The child began to move. He was alive. And after a few moments, Benedict took him by the hand and led him to the loving arms of his most grateful father. As the rancor of the devil spares no one, once when our saint was praying, who should appear to him but the devil himself? He boldly bragged that he was going to kill the monks as they tried to build the chapel. Benedict went in haste to warn the monks of the impending danger, but alas, it was too late. The wall had collapsed with a monk crushed beneath it. The monks were beside themselves, but Benedict told them to retrieve the body of their comrade from under the rubble and leave him alone with the monk's remains. Once again, alone, he began to pray, supplicating the Lord to spare his disciple. The Lord heard his prayers and responded quickly, restoring the dead monk to life. The devil never sleeps. While Benedict was climbing up to the chapel of St. John, the devil was watching from the summit at the top of the monastery, waiting for the doctor who had been called. Seeing him approach the monastery, the devil went out to meet him. The devil identified himself as a monk, and he inquired what the doctor's business was there. The doctor told the devil he had been summoned and was carrying medicine to the monks. The devil, in the form of the elderly monk, asked him to give him the medicine, promising he would give it to his brother monks. Thinking nothing of it, the doctor complied and left the medicine. In the meantime, Benedict, deep in prayer, became aware of what was going on. He recognized the elderly monk was in reality the devil 
and prayed even more fervently onto the way to the monastery, Benedict encountered the elderly monk who was about to poison his brother monks. With the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Benedict pushed the elderly monk down and the fallen monk was immediately exorcised of the demon who had taken over obsessing him to do evil to his brother monks. Benedict was a prophet. Although he and his disciples had barely enough to eat, he gave what little they had to the multitudes starving as a result of the horrific famine that had struck their lives. When the monks complained that the five loaves he had kept for the community were not enough for them to eat, Benedict prophesied, You have not enough today, but tomorrow you have too much. When they awakened the next day, there before their very eyes and empty stomachs were 200 bushels of flour, which had been left by an anonymous donor at the monastery's gates. Benedict even prophesied the destruction of his monastery. One day a nobleman, whose conversion had come about through Benedict's influence, came upon him weeping. When he questioned him, asking him the source of his sorrow, Benedict replied, This monastery which I have built, and all that I have prepared for my brethren, has been delivered up to the heathen by a sentence of the Almighty. Scarcely have I been able to obtain mercy for their lives. This prophecy was to come to pass when forty years later the hands of the Lombards, members of an ancient Germanic tribe, destroyed the monastery of Monte Cassino. No account of St. Benedict would be complete without including the story of his sister Scholastica. When Benedict moved to Monte Cassino, his twin sister Scholastica decided to move close to him. Consequently, she became abbess of a community of nuns approximately five miles from his monastery. Living a truly contemplative life, Scholastica only visited her brother once a year. And then, as it was not permitted for women to enter the monastery, Benedict and some of his monks met Scholastica in a house not too far from the monastery. On her last visit to her brother, she and he spent the whole day, as usual, speaking of holy things and eternal life, which she would soon experience. As the day was nearing an end, they sat down and supped together. Fearing this would be the last time that she would see her, her brother, Scholastica implored her brother to remain the night and return the next day. However, the rule was that no monk could stay away from the monastery overnight, and so Benedict refused. Whereupon Scholastica laid her head on her arms and prayed silently to the Lord, begging him to intercede. No sooner had she laid her head down and prayed than a violent storm broke the silence. It was obvious to all that Benedict and the monks could not venture outside the house. Realizing what Scholastic had done, Benedict said, God forgive you, sister. What have you done? She meekly answered, I asked a favor of you, and you refused it. I asked it of God, and he granted it. It soon became evident that Benedict and his companions would have to spend the night there. 
So they all settled down and prayed through the night. The next morning, the sky was a bright blue, not a cloud in sight, and Benedict and his monks parted for Monte Cassino. Three days later, our little precious Saint Scholastica went to the eternal world she had always yearned for. Benedict was alone in his cell praying when he had a vision of Scholastica's soul leaving her body and rising up to heaven as a dove. Overjoyed with the knowledge his sister was in paradise, he praised God and turned to the other monks, informing them his sister had died. He sent some monks to bring back his sister's body and then placed her body in the tomb he had made for himself. The day would come when the prophet who had prophesied for others would prophesy his own death. He gathered the monks together and advised them that in six days he would be going to the Father and they should dig a grave to place his remains at rest. On the sixth day, knowing that the end was near, he asked his disciples to bring him to the chapel of St. Martin of Tours. He wanted to make his final sermon on his journey home. Knowing that this was his last day on earth, he asked his monks for food for the journey, the body and blood of Christ, his final and last communion. Once in the chapel, he asked the monks to help him stand. Braced and sustained by the loving arms of his children, the monks and disciples whom he had taught, his frail legs barely able to support him, summoning his last ounce of strength, he raised his arms to heaven and prayed for the last time. I am sure he went to the Savior petitioning for all the children of his community and those to come and praising the Lord for the gift of knowing him better through his word, his Eucharist, and the brothers he had sent him. The very day that our saint went to the Father, a disciple living on Monte Cassino and another living far away at another abbey had the same vision. They saw a path laden with precious carpets, illuminated brightly, extending from St. Benedict's cell up to heaven. A tall, brilliant angel explained to each of the disciples where the road came from and why they both saw it at the same time. This is the road that the dear one of God ascended to heaven. It was a prophecy by our dear saint that had come to pass. He had prophesied that he would go to the Father on the 21st of March in the year 547, which was the day he passed on. The influence of St. Benedict and his rule has been felt throughout the Church from his time to our time and will continue to the end of the world. He is truly known as the father of Western monasticism. We thank you for being with us this time. We thank you for spending this time with us. We and, love you. And inviting us into your homes. We love you. God bless you. God bless you. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, 
our uh, blog and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.